0: Hey, Tash. How are you? I'm pretty good. Awesome. So are you ready to get started with the interview? Yes. I'm a little nervous. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? That's okay. We're going to get through this together. (laughs) We've been
1: doing this for quite a while now, and I still get nervous. Okay, good. I feel a little
2: better. (laughs) I
0: got this. Today, we're speaking with Tashoy Miller. She is an entrepreneur and an activist who is in the process of launching her own business. The mission is to help those impacted by the incarceration system to re-enter and navigate the job market. She met with us to share her own experience with re-entry after being incarcerated in a Mississippi jail. Let's get into it. I'm Bhavna. And I'm
1: Vendela. And this is Women's Health Incarcerated.
0: So Tash, what have you been up to these days? I remember that the last time that we talked, you mentioned that you were working from home, right? Um,
2: yeah. You know, we're kind of still in a pandemic, so <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty much just here, <laughs> just at home. I've been, actually, I've been taking a, more vacations than I usually have. I've been traveling more, so that's been pretty good.
0: Nice. So where have you been traveling?
2: My last vacation, I went, I went away in Mexico. Uh-huh. In February for my birthday. And then I just booked Aruba in June. Ooh. So I have a dream that I didn't have before because I'm not tied down to like a desk and a set work schedule. I could work from anywhere. So it's like, let's travel, let's explore. Mm-hmm. So that's what I've been up to.
1: Well, that's awesome. I'm glad you can travel. So where's home for you right now?
2: Right now I'm in Florida.
1: Oh, cool. How's that?
2: Uh, it has its ups and downs. It's okay. I miss New York for the most part.
0: Mm-hmm. And you used to live in New York? Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, that's definitely a hard city to leave behind. Yeah. <laughs> so beyond all of the very exciting traveling, what else have you been up to?
2: Um, I'm working on launching a business. Mm-hmm. The The pandemic kind of made way for that. I feel like I was kind of just going through... Trying to figure out my purpose, like, you know, trying to figure out what is it that I want to do that's going to bring in the money that I want to make and also make me feel fulfilled. Like, I felt like I was working, but it was just like, whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, I wasn't in love with what I was doing. So the pandemic gave me that time to really sit and explore these things. And that's what brought about Ground Up, which I'm very excited about. It's my baby. Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) <laughs> and I have you know prior experience with the things that I want to work and the kind of work that I want to do yeah so
1: yeah that's awesome and I feel like I can actually really relate to that because Bobs and I basically feel the same way about Wink definitely
0: like meet our baby <laughs> <laughs> No, but this has truly been the kind of work that makes me feel most fulfilled and that's so amazing that you were able to find that for yourself
1: (laughs) yeah um so could you actually give us a little bit of a teaser into what ground up is all about um yeah definitely
2: pretty much in my history like as far as you know i'm a african-american female and i'm a new felon i was having issues with employment Mm -hmm. so You know, I had a situation and I just felt like there's nothing available to help felons with employment. And that's pretty much what Ground Up is going to be. It's, you know, to help you transition from jail or prison into gainful employment.
1: Wow, that sounds very cool Mm -hmm. and very needed, too. It sounds like Ground Up was somewhat inspired by some of your own experiences with reentry. Yes. Yeah. So I was actually wondering if you could tell us a bit more about that. When did you first get incarcerated?
2: I was incarcerated starting January 28th, 2018 in Mississippi.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: And I never made it to prison. I was in the county jail until December, like the week before Christmas. So I got arrested and like, you know, I thought, all right, I'm going to get arrested. I'll It's not the end of the world i'll go to court i'll get a bond like somebody will come pay my bond i'm gonna go home We'll figure this out well i went to court and then my best friend came and they paid the bail and then i call i'm like okay i'm still here like because usually like the people in there you know people that's in jail like they have the most information that's something i learned when i was in jail like they have the most information about everything so like they're telling me they're like okay hey, once your bail is paid you'll be processed out in about three hours so it was like six hours went by I'm like why am I still here I call and the best was like oh um we paid it and when we they were processing you they said you have a hold in another county
0: mm-hmm.
2: so now I'm like well how like what happened yeah there's nothing like that they could do we had to I had to sit there pretty much wait for another county to come pick me up and transfer me to that new place. And they said, like, they have seven days to pick you up and take you or they have to release you. Of course, they came on the seventh Mm -hmm. day (laughs) and they told me to pack my stuff. They took me to the other county, took me to court. I didn't have a bail there. So I was like, oh, my goodness. They were because pretty much they said I was from a different state. So I was deemed a flight
1: risk.
2: Hmm. And wouldn't give me a bail due to that so I ended up having I ended up getting stuck and having to sit there pretty much the entire time wait
0: so I'm just a little confused on how that even happened like how does the court system work over there
2: the way the court system like I've never experienced anything like it but it's just like I think it's just, it's very outdated out there. I don't know if it's just because it's, like, the South. Mm -hmm. But I got arrested in January. I went to court that week for my arraignment. My next court date, like, they give you three court dates. And my first one wasn't until May. And then my next one after that was in August. And then my next after that was in November. So they were, like, very spaced out. And there's nothing you can do Mm -hmm. to get in before that time mm-hmm. and like when they were telling me about that I was like I've never heard of anything like that before I'm like you know I'm from New York like if you get in you're getting out pretty soon like there's not they don't just keep you sitting there so that kind of shocked me like I thought they were lying until like they gave me the paper and I was like well this is crazy like I call my mom hysterical and that was something like I've never I was just very taken aback. Right. I have to sit here for 10 months just to get seen in front of a judge was the most unheard of thing I've ever experienced.
1: Yeah, So let me just make sure that I understand. Um, so you were arrested and were able to pay the bail in one county. But then as they were processing the bail, you were told that you had a hold in another county, Yeah, which means that there was like a warrant for your arrest in the other county. And then the second county wouldn't allow for the bail because they considered you a flight risk. And then because you didn't have bail in the second county, you had to sit and wait in jail for yeah, 10
2: months. Yeah, but the thing is, even with people with bail, they were still sitting there because if mm. you can't afford to pay the bail you have to pretty much sit there and they get those three court dates it's like the last one is like where you get your where you have to take your plea the second one is where you get your offer and then like the first one I guess is just like when you go and plead guilty or not guilty gotcha so I was blessed to have like a supportive family that was able to like pay for attorney and stuff but all the girls were like just getting shipped to prison On like basic, bare minimum charges. Like the craziest thing I saw that had me on the phone crying to my mom. Like it was a girl and she went to prison and she shoplifted $700 worth of things from Walmart. And she got four years in prison for that. I was like, I felt like that was so minor to have to go to prison for four years. So yeah, that experience was definitely like if. There's an experience that can scare you straight. That was it for me. Like it definitely scared me straight.
1: So, Tosh, I know most of our conversation today is going to be talking about reentry, but before we get really into that, I think it could be helpful for our listeners to know more about what jail was really like for you. So, do you mind going into that a bit?
2: Okay, yeah. So the typical day would start at around 4.30. That's when they bring around like morning medication for like people that are like diabetic, blood pressure, whatever you're taking medication for. You get it at 4.30 in the morning. A lot of people would refuse because they're sleeping.
1: Right.
2: This comes at 5 a.m. And then... um, The place I was housed at, they um, give your trays like in your room. So they come back around, collect them if you take it and then you sleep and then they open your door at 9 a.m. You have to get out your room. Mm -hmm. That's when they give you like a 30, I think it's like 30 minutes to like clean up. So they have like a broom and stuff, but it's not really sanitary because it's like it's going from room room to room to room to room to room.
0: Yeah.
2: So they do that. After you clean, you go out in the day room, you're out there, lunches at 1130, and then they lock you back down in your room from uh, one to five, and then you come out at five for dinner, and then you're out in the day room from five to nine, and then at nine, it's bedtime. They lock you back down. Hmm. That's your typical day. That that was every day, you know, you get used to the routine.
1: Yeah. But I mean, it sounds like a very tough routine, even if you did get used to it.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: What about in terms of um, the people and the environment? Um,
0: it was
2: so I had friends, family, boyfriend, like I had a lot of people to speak to on the outside. Mm-hmm. But when you're incarcerated, like you get. Not to say like you're institutionalized, but in a way you are, because like it's just the same routine, Every single day, like nothing is changing. Like when I got in there, I'm like, I didn't understand, like, people were in drama, and it's just like a lot of he say, she say, mm-hmm. you know, like yeah. you can't imagine, like high school, but like high school with grown adult women. And it was always for me, like, how are you so consumed by this? And then, like, the longer I was there, like, I started to understand, like, well, this is your life, especially for the people that don't have me on the outside. If they don't know what's going on on the outside, that's all they have to just. Go by.
0: So I actually want to backtrack to something that you had mentioned a while earlier now. You had said something about how all the information that you were getting was from people from jail. Just to clarify on that, were you talking about the people who are incarcerated Mm -hmm. were giving you all of this information? Yeah,
2: the people that are incarcerated, they'll tell you everything. Like, they know how much your bail is going to be before you go to court. They have, like, 50 bail bondsmen's numbers written down. They know everything. Like, they're telling ropes. Like, at, you know, on Tuesdays, this guard is working. They're not nice. Like, on Wednesdays, you can get away with doing this. It's the people, because the guards don't help. Like, they're not going to tell you anything. Right. The inmates, they're going to tell you everything, answer all your questions, anything you want to know.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it kind of just goes to show how little structural support that y'all are provided with, you know, in terms of resources or anything like that. It really does have a lot to do with your own personal connections and networking, and it just really stood out to me when you first were talking about that, because actually somebody that we had interviewed earlier on in the season was saying a very very similar thing and that to me just shows a trend you know
2: yes definitely like being in there I feel like I was like the things that I didn't think was like a privilege like you know having a home and food every night and like being a high school graduate and have attended college and like all these things that I felt like were just normal things for a lot of the women in there, like they didn't have that. So, you know, there was a lot of things like that. They didn't, they didn't have people on the outside to do things for them. And they just, they lacked so much. And I realized that, you know, when I came home, like I had, you know, certain opportunities, like I was able to put myself together. I knew how to put a resume together. I knew how to, I knew how to try to maneuver and make my next move. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them, like, you know, based on conversations we've had, they just didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to do anything. They didn't have any, you know, background experience in anything. They probably never worked before. Or if they did work, it was only fast food. Mm -hmm. So, you know, being in there for that time and talking to so many different people, because you literally meet people from different walks of life. Like I was incarcerated with, I believe it was, like, the mayor's daughter, and, like, she was a drug addict that was, like, in and out, and, you know, you never would think, like, you're going to be incarcerated with the mayor's daughter.
1: Mm, Yeah, and I feel like that's very telling of how anybody can make a mistake that might lead them to being incarcerated.
2: Yeah, that's definitely very true. A lot of people, like, that I saw, you'll sit there and you'll think in your head, like, I wonder what she did. And then, like, when you end up finally having a conversation with the person and you're just blown away when, like, you get to learn their story. And, like, it's like everybody that's incarcerated has a story. And that was something I learned. So I always learn, like, not to judge anyone because everyone has a story.
0: So I know that when we were first talking and getting to know each other a lot of our conversation was centered on your experience with coming back home and so i was wondering if we could actually go into that a little bit more right now um would you mind sharing a little bit about what your experience was like with reentry
2: um yeah pretty much when i came home i wasn't given any resources like i pretty much was just told you know pack my stuff And that I was going home that day. I knew that because from when I went to court, the judge told me I was being released today. So when I got back, I had already packed up. Like I was, time to go for my mom. I'm just waiting on them to release me. But it's like, I was trying to also mentally not psych myself up because that's the worst thing ever. And I had done that so many times before, psyched myself up and thought I was going home to only not be able to go home because it's like, something just goes wrong.
0: And what, sorry, what do you mean by that? Just like
2: the first time when I went to court and I thought that I was, you know, I paid the bond, like everything. And I'm like, all right, I'm going home. And then something goes wrong. Mm. And then just different, different times that I would go to court and I would think today's the day they may give me a bond and I may be able to go home only to go to court and you don't even get to see a judge. Like it was just a lot of, psyching yourself up and Mm -hmm. then not going home and like I had a lot of that with my attorney where she's like oh you're gonna be gone by August you're gonna be gone by July and then like I kept telling myself these things in my head because like that's what she was telling me you're my paid attorney so I believe what you're telling me and then those months are going by and still here it's emotionally draining so I didn't want to Site myself up this time like I was just sitting there everybody's like you're leaving I'm like I hope so <laughs> like I wasn't like excited about it at all so then when they took me to the front I got dressed and then when you get released they were like you have to go across the street to the probation office and like register for your probation or they're gonna like issue a warrant for you the next day so I made sure I went there and my mom picked me up from there and then like we were driving home, and the first thing I saw was Wendy's, and I was like, I want to go there. <laughs> and then we went, I got food, and, like, we came home. And it was kind of, it was really weird. Like, being home was weird. Not to say, like, you miss jail, but it's, like, you got used to being in jail. Like, you got used yeah. to seeing these people every day. You're mentally, like, your brain is, like, adjusted to this routine.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So... It was really weird, like, me being home. Like, I still wake up at 5 a.m. And before jail, I was always like, I'm waking up 11, 12 o'clock. Like, my body is still programmed. And this is two years, two, three years later. At 5 a.m. every day, like, I still, it's like, I feel like I mentally hear, like, them popping the doors and coming in and screaming for medication and screaming for breakfast. Like, I still hear that. You don't just come home and you're just like, okay, like I'm back to normal. (laughs) It's like your body and like your everything like just goes through like a complete shock. The same shock that I feel like you go through when you first get arrested and like have to like adjust to it is the same shock that your body goes through when you come back home and you have to get adjusted to like being home. Right. And uh, you know, like I came home and I went through like a depression because it was like it was the holiday season and it was like yeah like I was excited to be home and be able to spend Christmas with my family and everything but at the same time like I just I felt lost Mm -hmm. it's tough to explain but I just felt lost like I kind of felt like I didn't belong I kind of felt like what am I gonna do from here like I was just emotionally like I was experiencing like so many different things I would. I didn't leave my bed probably for, like, a month and a half. Like, I was just locked up in my room. And then I finally was like, okay, like, you have to get out of this and start looking for jobs. Because, like, they didn't, it's not like they tell you, you can go here and they'll hire you or they'll give you a chance. Like, they literally just release you out in the world mm-hmm. and you're on your own to figure it out. And it was tough because, you know, a lot of jobs, of course, like, you're a felon. So now they're going to judge you. So you have to figure out, I had to figure out pretty much how do I maneuver this? Like, where do I go from here? Mm -hmm. And that was tough in itself. Like, you know, going on these interviews and having these tough conversations and they don't prepare you for any of that. And it's a tough experience to come home from jail and then, you know, not be prepared for the world.
0: So you mentioned that you started looking for jobs. Can you tell us more about how that went for you?
2: So I put my resume together and I started applying different places, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I was getting callbacks. So I was like, okay, this may not be too bad after all. A lot of the callbacks I was getting, they were trying to pay like minimum wage, like way below what you know I was accustomed to getting paid back in New York. And also way below what I would expect to get paid, even though I'm in Florida. And then one time I got an offer from a company. And then um, one day, like, I think I went to log in to like the work website and it like it didn't work. And I sent her a text. I'm like, hey, you know, I'm trying to log in to, you know, get this stuff done. And she was just like, you know, it's okay. Like, I don't think it's going to work out. And to this day, like, she never came out and said, like, you know, I found out about your criminal history. But I'm pretty sure that's what she saw. Or she probably Googled me. And then she, like, changed all the passwords and just locked me out and never said anything. Another time, I got a job offer. I did the training. The guy loved me. They actually offered me the job, like, an hour after my interview, they called me. Mm-hmm. I was supposed to go in. The next day for like my first official date outside of training and I saw that they were calling so I answer and you know he was just like hi I'm gonna have to take back the job offer and I was like Mm -hmm. well why is that like everything's been going so well like literally yesterday you told me you were so happy like I was the last interview and it was like I was a godsend it was like oh I googled you and I know I feel like you're a liability for the company I don't think it's gonna work out and I'm just like so you got to know me you got to know my work ethic and you're still gonna judge me based on what you see on google and then he's like well you know i would be able to forgive it if it was like 10 years ago and i'm like sir like i'm 25 mm-hmm. i wasn't gonna be in jail at 15 so how was it gonna be 10 years ago mm-hmm. and i was just like okay thank you for the opportunity and i you know and i even i after i hung up I call my mom crying because, like, it's devastating because, you know, when you think you found a job and it was like a very, it was a good job, it had good benefits, it was close to home.
0: Yeah, and especially when they offered you the job immediately after your interview, which clearly shows that they thought that you were well suited for it.
2: Exactly. And when, like, you know, you're doing a good job
0: Mm -hmm. only to
2: find out, oh, well, I casually Googled you last night and I'm not too pleased with what I saw. I have to take the offer back it's like, you own this company, so I know you can make an executive decision and decide to keep me, but you're choosing to let me go.
0: Right. And that's just so disappointing because clearly this person thought that you were great for the company, you know, to have offered you this job and even got to know you a little bit through training and whatnot and know your work ethic and to have him take it all back just because he couldn't let go of his judgments. Mm -hmm. That's... Very disappointing.
2: Yeah, no, they definitely judge you based on your your crime. Like Mm -hmm. they think you're gonna just order, just come in and arrange for the place to get robbed, and just like you're gonna just be this crazy lunatic of a person. And but you would think that you know once they give you this chance and they see like, okay, she can work. She comes on time. She has manners, right. customers like her, the co-workers like her. Maybe she did make a mistake two years ago. Mm-hmm. But it's just like, no, you're going to definitely get judged based on that mistake.
1: Right. And if there's no resources or support and there's no safety net, mm-hmm. like what can you expect people who are trying to get back into a normalcy of life to do?
2: Exactly. And like these people are adults with, you know, probably families and kids and people they have to support but they have no means to be able to do that yeah so I'm not you know not saying that you're supposed to go back to bank robbing but you know if that's all the person knows and there's no more opportunities being presented to him anywhere else to support himself and his family it's just like what are you supposed to do
0: So how did you cope with all of these experiences? And honestly, what feels like constant rejections from all of these places that you were applying to?
2: It was tough. I definitely cried a lot because it was, for me, it was similar to being in jail and thinking you're going to come home.
0: Mm-hmm. It's
2: the same feeling, like thinking I got this job, things are looking up, and that it's taken away from you. And it's just, like, both of those situations are completely out of your control.
1: Right.
2: You can't, you know, pack your bags and walk out of jail. Just, like, you can't show up to a job that tells you, hey, you're no longer being offered this position. So it was very tough for me. Like, it was a lot of research. And the thing about it is, as a female, when I was researching, like, no, you know, I was trying to see, like, different trades and different things that you could get into. It's all male-driven. Hmm. It's, like, they don't consider, like, if women get incarcerated or, like, they don't. Like, that's an afterthought, which is crazy because when you look it up, like, the incarceration rate for women is super high. And it's, like, it's superseding the men and it increases rapidly every year. Right. So, you would think that the woman wouldn't be such an afterthought, but it was like it's a lot of labor intensive jobs like welding and plumbing and construction and truck driving. And it's like, as a woman that's, you know, a girly girl with like <laughs> extra long bolts, like, I'm not a welder. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't even, I wouldn't know the first thing about welding. Yeah. So, it's very tough.
1: Yeah. And I feel like that's, that's actually not something that I personally thought about in Mm -hmm. terms of what the job market is like when you're reentering. And, you know, like when you have a certain identity, like being a woman, and even on top of that, being a woman of color, which may further disadvantage you from certain opportunities. Mm -hmm. On top of the fact that you're formerly incarcerated. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah. So where did you go from there?
2: I kept applying. I'm like, there's someone out there that's gonna take a chance on me there has to be right and I kept applying I kept going to interviews and I ended up getting a position as the director for a salon and it was good you know it was a learning experience it helped me to get my feet wet get back into the flow of the job market and then um I stayed there for about a year and then I was, you know, after a year at most jobs, you have the meeting, you discuss where things are going, you get a raise. And I was told like that the company doesn't give raises. So I personally just, I was like, there's no growth here for me. Mm-hmm. So I started exploring other options, but I just pretty much kept applying. Like I, one thing I always tell myself, I'm like, if you can survive being locked up in another state where you're pretty much by yourself and have to figure it out you can survive today and you can survive tomorrow and you can survive all the days. Definitely. So I ended up applying and going on an interview and she ended up offering me the position in my offer letter. It said that I was going to get a background check. I just felt like I didn't know when or if they were actually going to do it. So I was going through orientation. I was doing everything and I knew like that the owner is able to make that call. Like, that was a part of, like, what I researched. Like, I Googled it. Like, how, you know, like, as a felon, like, you Google those things. Like, how do I beat a background check? How do I discuss my criminal history with a new employer? Like, you know, you Google these things that the average person wouldn't look up. And I ended up telling her one day I was off and, like, I sent her a long text message, like, you know, I'm going to, because she was telling us, like, sign the authorization paper for the background checks. Like, I'm going to have them done by Friday. And I was like, okay, I can either tell her or I can wait and see how this plays out. So I told her. Mm -hmm. And, like, I sent her, like, this long message. I'm like, you know, this is, that's not who I am as a person. Like, you know, I was young. I was, you know, impressionable. Like, I just wanted to make a quick buck and things spiraled out of control and she was so nice so accommodating She was like I'm not gonna let you go like I believe that you're not that person and I was like okay like I was so excited like I cried because I was so happy I'm gonna cherish this job like I'm gonna do everything right fast forward a couple months later you get to realize why people do certain things because that's what I learned about another obstacle in coming home and reentry, which is that employers give you chances sometimes to hold it over your head, pretty much meaning like the chances that they give you sometimes aren't genuine. it's not because, oh, I wanna give you this chance, and I believe that you're just changed person, you're gonna do wonderful. it's more so. I'm gonna give you this chance and I'm going to bring it up every chance I get that you have to do whatever and you can't quit this job. And Mm -hmm. it's another step that you don't expect Mm -hmm. and you don't even like you don't think that someone would be that evil until you experience it.
0: So it kind of sounds like this feeling of constantly waiting for the other shoe to drop because so far it's just been obstacle after obstacle after obstacle and it's like you said it's not necessarily things that you would be anticipating or expecting because you wouldn't really think about these things until you're actually in that position Mm -hmm. and so how are you even supposed to mentally prepare for them you know that's yeah, I didn't
2: like and I thought it was just me
0: mm -hmm.
2: until like one day I had a conversation with a friend of mine And he worked at UPS and we're not in the same state. Like he works at UPS in New York and he's been there for a while now. And I was telling him like what I was going through at work. He was like, you know, sis, they're going to do that because they know that, you know, if you're on parole or if you're on probation, you're required to have a job. You're technically not supposed to quit a job until like you, you know, you tell your parole or probation officer that you're going to quit a job. You can get violated and get sent back to prison if you don't have gainful employment so a lot of these people know these things and that's why they give you the chances that they do because he was having the same issue where you know like his supervisor told him like if you quit I'm calling your parole officer
1: wow Wow. yeah it's almost like this rush of power that people are feeling like oh I can treat this person however I want to and they're just gonna have to deal with it because I am able to hold this over their head, mm-hmm. which is ridiculous. Yeah, exactly. And talking about the requirements on parole and probation, can you go more into the barriers that you have to cross with that? Probation is definitely
2: one of those things, Like they don't tell you how tough probation can be. Mm-hmm. And um, I almost got rearrested. Because when I finally got employment, after going through all these things to get employment, then they contacted me. I was like, well, you didn't sign some papers, so you have to come back to Mississippi to sign these papers. If you don't come back by tomorrow, we're issuing a warrant for your arrest. So now it's like, I just went through four months of trying to get a job. I get a job. and You want me to call out the day before and I have to do all this stuff? Like, how am I supposed to get any of this done? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. I feel like they don't act like they're humans. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, if you tell them like, hey, I have work. He's like, well, you better tell them you have to go to another state to see your probation officer. And it's like, sir, like, I didn't even tell these people I'm on probation because I want to be treated right there.
0: Right. And like even asking someone to come to a whole other state in such Mm -hmm. a short time period. What if what if they don't have the means to do that? You know, that's definitely not a very. Reasonable ask by any means for the majority of people.
2: It's very unrealistic. Like, yeah. they set these unrealistic expectations. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with it, but, like, when you get released from incarceration, you usually get released with, like, this, like, a bill. Because mm-hmm. they charge for every day that you're there. It's like you're paying rent for being locked up. Yeah. So you get released with a bill as far as, like, your jail rent you're gonna have like any fees or fines that the state impose on you and they expect you to pay this back in a timely fashion and if you don't pay, they're gonna violate you and send you to prison. But you can't get a job, so how am I supposed to pay it? Right. And that was a very tough thing for me because like I felt like, okay, I have family that, you know, my mom is like, you know, we'll make these monthly payments for you. But like, damn, well what about the people who don't have the help,
1: Right. Yeah.
2: they release you with $15,000 worth of debt and they want you to pay on it next month. And it's like, I don't even have a job.
0: Yeah. And as you're sharing all of these things, I, I can't help but think about how the system already disproportionately mm-hmm. impacts lower income people. And so to have all of these barriers on top of that, the system, it's... It's a beast. Like it really does set people up to fail. Mm -hmm.
2: And I did for my business, I did an interview with a probation officer Mm -hmm. and I was like asking her a lot of these questions. And she was telling me how one time she almost got fired by her higher ups because she wouldn't violate someone because like a part of probation is you have to maintain a job and you have to maintain stable housing. She wouldn't violate this lady because she was homeless but her boss like was on her like you need to violate her and send her to prison because she's homeless and then the lady didn't want to go to a shelter because like she had like a bad you know bad experiences right. like shelters aren't necessarily the the rents. yeah so the lady was living on the streets but she was still reporting you know still doing everything she was supposed to do but she was homeless And she was like, they went on for like almost a year. And then her boss finally came in one day and was like, when you go and meet meet her tomorrow, you have to arrest her because she's homeless and she's not following the terms and conditions of her probation. And when I heard that, I was so taken aback because I'm like, you get punished for being homeless, not for committing a crime, not for not reporting, but because you can't find housing. Right. And the thing I learned is that a lot of the women, it's more women are disproportionately affected by homelessness upon release from incarceration than men for some reason. It's a lot of women that come home from prison and they're homeless and they end up violating their terms of release because they have nowhere to go.
1: also just realized that a lot of what we're talking about was more in relation to jobs and that kind of process but what do you how else was your like re-entry process coming home like like what else were you having to deal with either negatively or positively that you didn't necessarily anticipate or think about beforehand I feel like
2: I thought that I was gonna come home and like I was just gonna figure it out like I was gonna just know what to do like have it Mm -hmm. together and it just was not that easy like I didn't think I was gonna come home and lay in bed for a month and a half because I'm so depressed
1: right
2: did not think that I thought I was gonna come home I was gonna be so happy I'm jumping off the walls I'm home like let's party and it was just not like that at all even like my first time like that I went out and like in a social setting I felt like I was just like looking around like what's happening like it was just it's very, like, it's, it's a shell shock.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: So the way you picture you're going home in your head and the way that, like, your going home actually is, it's night and day.
0: Yeah. Thank you for sharing that with us. Um. And I also wanted to ask, what advice would you give to others who may be in a similar situation as you were?
2: I would tell them it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. But... Don't give up. The jobs are going to kick your ass. That's going to be a very tough thing for you. Um, You're going to face a lot of disappointment when it comes to work. Whether it's going to be even getting your first interview. Whether it's going to be making your resume. Whether it's going to be getting fired from a job after you got hired. It's going to be tough. But keep at it don't give up. And if you're a woman, you're going to be excited. You get tampons back, real ones. You don't have to make them with toilet paper. So that's exciting. So, you know, look at the bright side. You get great things like tampons and deodorant back.
1: So I think that kind of leads into our final question, which is, if there is one takeaway or just something that you wish people could get out of listening to your experience after everything that you've been through, what is it that you would want people to know? People who don't necessarily have that experience of being incarcerated.
2: I would want them to know, like, we're humans too, you know, and it can be anyone. Mm -hmm. I think people struggle with realizing, like, you can go outside today and you can just be casually driving your car and texting and you can hit someone and you can be the next one in jail facing 20 years like it can be anyone and people lack that compassion and that empathy to understand like this person made a mistake yes granted there are people that you know are habitual and they continue to do these things and even with those people you have to take in mind like they don't have the resources it's not like you know some people have trauma they're not getting therapy for like there's just a lot of things that go into why people make the decisions that they make and i feel like overall like there needs to be an understanding that people are human no one's perfect and we all make mistakes and everyone has done something that could have landed them in prison and it's just like you're just lucky like that it wasn't you
1: Okay, so before we let you go, we just have a couple of icebreaker questions for you. Okay, yeah. So let's get into it.
0: All right, first up is if you could have an extra hour of free time every single day, how would you use it? Mm,
2: I would probably read. Hmm. i'm an avid reader and um i have kindle the kindle app on my phone and yeah. i'm always on my phone
1: nice. reading <laughs> and what do you like to read um i'm like a mixture
2: like i'm very all over the place i'm like self-help <laughs> um i got into more like the harlan Cobens and the james patterson's while yeah. i was incarcerated mm. i'm like <laughs> all over the place with my reading
0: yeah that's awesome <laughs> yeah yeah, I love
1: James Patterson. I used to read so many of his books when I was a kid. <laughs> um, okay, so for our second question, when was the last time that you did something for the first time?
2: Oh, in February when I went to Mexico, I was swimming with dolphins. That was exciting. Ooh, that is exciting. <laughs> um, how was it? That was so much fun. Um, yeah. I can't swim, so oh. <laughs> it was like, I was. When he we, he put us in the pool and he's like, "All right, well, you have to swim to the middle." I'm like, "I yeah. can't swim." Yeah. He's like, "Well, it's like just p- paddle your hands and feet and just get to the middle, and then the dolphin's gonna meet you in the middle." I was like, "Okay, I can do this."
0: <laughs> and you did do it.
2: I did do it. It was super fun.
0: Yeah. One time I got to feed dolphins, but I never got to swim with them.
2: Oh, that's cool.
0: <laughs> yeah, but definitely not as exciting. <laughs> um so for our last question what is something that's on your bucket list i want to skydive that's on mine too Mm -hmm. i actually Mm -hmm. wanted to go for this past year but because of covid there weren't a lot of many places that were open and whatnot
2: yeah pretty sure a lot of those places were closed
0: yeah but it's definitely still on my list that's exciting yeah i (laughs) definitely
2: want to i want to jump out of a plane i want to do it on like somewhere tropical yes like that like at home in Florida like I would be on my (laughs) vacation doing it somewhere like super exotic and exciting
1: yeah I mean that sounds great I feel like I honestly though wouldn't be content (laughs) if I never
0: skydived or jumped out of a plane (laughs) okay fair enough then (laughs) um (laughs) Well, that's all the questions that we had for you, Tosh. Thank you so, so much for joining us and for speaking with us. I'm so excited for our listeners to hear this and to learn from your experiences. Um, And I wish you all the best for Ground Up and everything else that you have going on. Thank you so much again. Yes, thank you.
1: Thank you guys
2: for having me.
1: Thank you for tuning into this week's episode and be sure to follow Tosh's company and see what they're up to. Their Instagram handle is at itsgroundup. Next time we're getting insight into what it's like to be incarcerated while innocent. Until then.
0: Women's Health Incarcerated can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you get your podcasts. To view our transcripts, learn more information about the intersection between the incarceration system and healthcare, or find different ways that you could get involved, please visit www.winkthemovement.org. That's www.whincthemovement.org.